Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I think it's fair to say the arrival of the pandemic and its accompanying restrictions last year presented a challenge for most businesses in the UK, but perhaps none more so than the newest within our ranks. I'm Rachel Mortimer, Senior Reporter at FT Advisor, and today I'm joined by Alistair Gaines, founder at Acrovis Wealth, and Kat Tymon, Director at Mansfield Money, both of whom have set up their own advice firms in the last year and a half. And also Heather Hopkins, Managing Director at Next Wealth. So Heather, you interact with a lot of advice firms. Can you set the scene for us as to what the last year has been like for them, um, especially the newest firms in the market? Great. Thanks, Rachel. Good to be here. So we surveyed advisors in the summer with the PFS. There's 460 advisors that responded to the survey, so a pretty chunky sample. And what we found was that they said on average, um, gross revenue is expected to be down as a result of the pandemic by just under 10%. And when we looked at how that um, spread across, you know, there was quite a wide variation, um, but most firms fell into sort of between negative one and negative 10, or negative 11 to negative 20. And, you know, a fifth fall in gross revenue is big, right? It's not insignificant. Um, but but there's quite a very bit of variation between a 1% fall and a 20% fall in gross revenue. What advisors told us is that it was really uneven. So when we looked at the profile of firms that were being impacted, firms that had been in business longer, who had a larger number of clients, large number of advisors, potentially impacted less because they had their referral network set up, they had more clients to rely on to refer them business, and they weren't relying as much on new clients. And that's where things really slowed down, um, that people were taking longer to make a decision. So um, one of the things we heard from advisors a lot over the last year is that from the first meeting with a client until the advice is implemented, that that time has extended significantly because um, people are just taking a little bit longer to make a decision. And for a small business that's just starting out, that can have a really big impact because it slows down the pace at which you can bring in clients and makes it really hard to plan for the future. Um, so I think, I think those are the two things where we've seen the biggest impact in terms of business growth and impacting newer business and advisors just starting out the hardest. Sure. And do you think that the fact that obviously we've been operating on a remote advice model for the last year, has that has that contributed to that slowdown in, in business as well? Yeah, absolutely. So we did, um, I did a consumer focus group last week and I love doing consumer focus groups. So this was a group of, it's only six people, but six people who pay for financial advice on an ongoing basis and have done so over a number of years and have paid at least in the last year. And we asked them about how they've been engaging with their advisor, how they've been working with them, how that's changed. And they all felt really comfortable with virtual meetings and, um, and felt that they were okay. It was fine for business as usual. Some were keener than others to get back to face to face. But when I asked them about about how they would want to work with somebody in a new relationship. There was two in the group that said, you know, Zoom would be okay. Um, but most of them felt that a face-to-face meeting would be really important, even if that person was referred to them by a trusted, you know, a lawyer or an accountant or a financial advisor they're already working with. And I think that that sort of underlines what I'm hearing from advisors is that it's harder to build that trusted relationship at the beginning um, and, and to really get under the skin of what people are looking for to looking to achieve with their wealth because it's not just about I want to grow my portfolio by X percent, right? Like that, 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 those days are gone. This is about what do I want to, what do I want to do with my money? What do I need? How do I build a sustainable income and retirement? What do I want? How do I want to spend that retirement? And it's harder to have those conversations via Zoom. 
Sure, sure. I guess it comes back to to, to, to that sort of um, point that we know so well that clients are human beings and they crave that human interaction. And whilst it's not a robo advisor, you are still sort of communicating with someone for the first time through a screen rather than in person. So I imagine that that, that does make difference. Yeah. But Alistair and Kat, I mean, what a year 2020 was for your first full year in business, quite the baptism of fire. Um, so tell me a bit about the sort of the highs and the lows. I mean, Alistair, if I come to you first, any particular challenges that stand out or any particularly satisfying yeah. moments? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would pick up on and, and echo some of the points that uh, Heather made there in terms of the challenges around building new relationships. I think during 2020 was particularly difficult. My background, I came from a firm that had very, very well embedded professional relationships. And therefore, it was a big challenge to try and get out there and to meet new new professional introducers and, and that kind of thing. Strangely, though, I think throughout 2020, that dynamic changed a little bit because I think in the early stages of the pandemic, solicitors and accountant contacts were became very kind of internally focused. And th- that kind of ebbed and flowed throughout 2020. And then what we saw, what I've seen more recently is the professional network inside of things has been much easier because it's all been online. So, you know, I think traditionally in these kind of networking events, we go off to the coffee stand and we bump into somebody that we know or the first person that we see at the coffee stand, whereas actually the online networking works really well and you can get a certainly meet a broader cross-section of people and and in a much more efficient way. So so I think that's been actually a positive over the last 12 months. I certainly think from a client point of view, clients have adapted really well to it. And I, I take on board Heather's point about, you know, the evidence suggests that people do need to see their advisor face to face. But, you know, for some of my existing relationships and fairly new relationships, they, they sort of said to me, look, it was important that I met you first of all, but actually now we can do it virtually, you know. So um, so that helps in terms of geographical reach and uh, and efficiency of the business. And then I suppose finally, because of the efficiency of the business, it's probably allowed people like myself and Kat to kind of invest more time in their proposition. And I've certainly done an awful lot of work in developing my my proposition and and maybe on some personal development stuff as well. So, yeah, a bit more of an efficient working environment. I think that's been the real positive over 2020. That's a great thing to take away from it, definitely. And I mean, as a one-man sort of one-man business, um, do you outsource your sort of regulatory work and, and requirements, or is that something which you found yourself having more time to do in in the last year? No, I mean, my background was with a directly authorised firm, and I actually ran the investment models at that firm. Um, so I made a very conscious decision when I set up the new business that I wanted to focus on things that revolved around the client. I wanted a real financial planning focus to the firm. So my view was to outsource everything that could be outsourced. Uh, and, and obviously, that's the compliance side of things, the investment management side of things. I'm dipping in and out on the marketing side of things. And that, that, that's certainly something that 2020 has allowed me a bit of time to try and focus and refine some of the marketing messages. So uh, yeah. yeah, sure. I mean, that narrative is is one that I've heard from a lot of advisors, actually, in the last year is that the pandemic and everything that came with it sort of gave them a bit of a uh, gave them time to think actually I want to be spending the majority of my working time with clients and what I can do for them and all this the additional admin and, and the regulatory side of it if we can outsource it then the less 
Um, so yeah, that, that certainly seems to be a sort of growing, increasingly popular dance. And Kat, I mean, you're um, predominantly in, in the mortgage market, uh, I mean, which is obviously was hit perhaps more than, you know, the sort of investments and pension side of, of, of the advice industry um, throughout the pandemic with all the restrictions that came with it. Tell us a bit more about your 2020 and, and what that was like sort of setting up a new firm in that year. Yeah, well, I've been in the mortgage advice industry 20 years, worked for various firms and made the decision in September 19 that, to go for it and set my own business up. Obviously, the um, everything was shiny, everything was great. And then in January, um, the great corona hit. Um, I would say my sort of gross revenue has dropped slightly but not to the detriment of the business too much, if that makes sense. I have been able to grow this year. I have been able to take on um, a self-employed advisor. I have been able to take a second self-employed advisor on who's due to start in April. I've very proudly been able to maintain my case manager's job and, and she's incredibly grateful for that. It's been a lot of hard work from both of us to be fair. We've had to use a bit of the furloughing system, but actually for her, if She's been incredibly happy because it's meant that she's kept a position. And I've worked incredibly hard to ensure that her life's not been impacted, you know, by a job loss or something like that. So we, we've worked incredibly hard together as a unit to try and keep the Mansfield Money brand going. What I, what I would say is with the coronavirus, I set my business up probably very much like Alistair. My motto was always client service, you know, this in this area it's kind of going to be the best experience you get and obviously then to take away the face-to-face element of it like Heather said it's a massive element for clients particularly first-time buyers who are buying the first home or if you've got someone with an extensive portfolio they're normally going to want to come and see you face-to-face and that was a massive disappointment to me to be fair and I've had to learn to adapt Um, I do a lot more phone appointments and obviously virtual appointments like Zoom and things like that. I haven't had much opposition from clients, to be fair, because I think they're genuinely understanding of the whole situation. Um, and my model in, in the business is that I do a lot of evening appointments because I've got my own family. I do a lot of evening appointments. Um, and actually, an evening Zoom ha- tends to suit quite a lot of clients who are looking to buy a property or, or, or something like that. So I think. The other highlight for me is I was, um, I'm not sure whether you are actually, Alistair, I was based at home initially, um, but because I have a case manager, I soon realised due to COVID rules that she wasn't able to work from my home and it's then, has she got a job then? So I've actually took on a premises, which was always a worry to me in the, in the pandemic. But actually, it's been a massive bonus because we've been able to do a lot of social media around it. We've posted how it's developed. We're in it. Um, it's allowing us to work social distancing, but still together, which is a big thing. And obviously, a massive part of this, which we, we haven't even mentioned, is obviously people's mental health, mm. you know continuing with work, feeling like it's a normal working day. And I know for my case manager, Laura, that was a massive thing for her. The fact that I virtually took a premises on to make sure that she can come to work every day because she can't do that role at home because she's got no printers, no scanners, that kind of thing. is quite massive. So although my general overall income has been hit, I do feel it's been a positive year for Mansfield Money in that respect. But yeah, we've got a long way to go to 
sort of get back on track to what the business plan would have been. But yeah, I am. I'm, we're feeling positive, so it's that's great it's, news. It's nice, yeah. That's a great point you raise as well. It's sort of setting up a new business, but also employing other people. You know, the stress isn't just on your own livelihood. Then it's also the responsibility of of your staff and the people that you've employed. So, congratulations. That's 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 a great achievement. To sort of keep everyone on there. So, yeah. Um, so Heather, looking ahead for twenty twenty one, obviously no one's quite sure when the restrictions might be lifted. But any sort of tips or advice or any um, predictions you might have for the year coming for the newer advice firms in the market? One of the things we've been really pleased about in the last year is just how advisors have really felt confident about the service they're offering to their customers. And I think that sometimes advisors can feel a little bit beat up by the press, by some of the negativity and some social channels, but the um, reinforcement from their clients about the value of that relationship and the peace of mind that advised customers have felt um, about their financial security and their financial situation has been Fantastic. So I'm really optimistic for how um, the financial planning profession and financial advisors will emerge from the pandemic, feeling really, you know, a sense of self-confidence and confidence about the value that they're offering to their customers. Not that they didn't feel it before, but I think that there were some cracks around the edges. So, um, and I think that's really, really positive because the demand for advice is going up. It's becoming more complex. People have an acute sense of their own mortality that maybe they didn't have a year ago and they're also questioning their life choices and and how they want to spend the time that we all have on this planet so i think the demand for advice is going to go up and the position that financial planners find themselves in is is, both those things are really positive Um, one of the things i just challenge everybody to think about um, and we're thinking about it too is is you know what's worked really well over the last year and as we emerge from this we can all see the sort of green shoots of, of you know life returning to normal what are the things that have worked really well that we can take with us as we emerge? And I know that, you know, Alistair and Kat have both mentioned really good things about you know, how virtual meetings work really well for some things, but not for other things. Um, but, you know, what are some of the other things that have worked really well over the last year that we want to we want to keep as we emerge? So that's that's really the final thoughts for me. Great. I think that green shoots analogy is a really lovely one to take away with us as well. So thank you everyone so much for your time today. And for you at home, stay tuned for after the advert where I'll be speaking to Imogen Chu and Amy Austin. Welcome back. I am joined by senior reporters Amy Austin and Imogen Chu to learn more about what has been in the news and the headlines this week. So scams have been at the forefront of our news again this week. What's the latest here, Amy? So the latest action for data has come out um, kind of in association with FCA's scam smart campaign. Um, and yeah, they're quite shocking, as you can expect. So fraudsters actually start stole £78 million last year from savers and just by pretending to be like legitimate investment firms you know, reeling them in and then taking this money. On average, the losses reported were around 45,000. We're talking a lot, a lot of money. The reports of these clone firms um, increased 29% in April compared to March. So you're kind of seeing the effect that the COVID-19 pandemic is having on these scams, you know. They went into March, they saw what was going on. And by the time it got to April, they, you know, they saw their loophole, they saw their way in and they saw how they could uh, get to people. 
and get their money. So yeah, it's it's not looking good. So it's a factor here that the confusion and the uncertainty of uh, the economy and the markets when the pandemic first hit last year and people are panicking about what to do with their savings and their funds and, and looking online for, for options as well to get a good return. Yeah, so that's basically it. You know, we've all we've all been online. You, you can see the adverts that pop up on the side of Google or, you know, when you're scrolling down looking for something. I've seen some of these scams and even being a financial journalist, I feel like I would fall victim to some of them because they look so real. You know, they've got the, for example, like the Viva logo all over it, you know, Viva Investors, this is our new fund, like come and invest with us. We're giving, I don't know, X percent returns. And yeah, people click on them, you know, get taken through to websites, which are literally clones of the Aviva website just to trick people into thinking they're de- actually dealing with this firm. And so they feel safe putting, you know, all this money into them when actually it's going straight to scammers. So, yeah, it's sad because it could trick anyone. Like, it's not, you know, silly people that are doing this. Like the FCA said before, it is people with financial knowledge that are clicking onto these because they just look so real. Sure. I think, I think as well, sorry, Rach, we've, um, we've seen like an increase um, in where financial advisors are reporting an, an increase in the number of clients coming forward and saying like, oh, can we talk about life insurance or can we talk about inheritance tax or those are two quite morbid examples. But I think people are kind of at home more, have more time to look through their finances. They're seeing finance a lot in the news at the moment. So like COVID is just bringing up kind of that thought and so I think if advisors are experiencing that from their clients, I think it's safe to say that probably DIY investors are also kind of going through the same process. And we've seen interest rates kind of be slashed, like the Bank of England has slashed the base rate. And so we've got this really low rate return environment, which is only going to kind of fuel the desire to like look elsewhere for high returns. So I think alongside what Amy said, I think there's this like backdrop of like, uh, am I going to have enough for retirement? Like this fear, um, obviously, that's kind of compounded by the crisis. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's also the concept of vulnerability being fluid, and actually, the stresses and the strains of the last year of working from home and perhaps worrying about your finances and your job, as you said, and not picking up on telltale signs that something is a scam or not legitimate. And, you know, you, as you say, you might have financial knowledge and be fully aware of, of the dangers of scams, but you're caught on an off day when you're particularly tired because you've been homeschooling the kids and working at the same time. And, and that's where the mistakes happen. So, yeah, it's a really horrific trend that's emerging. It's yeah. even like, you know, desperation, you know, when you get to the point where you think, actually, I need money and I need it quick and this looks really good. So let's let's go and do it. You know, there unfortunately and sadly are people that are in that position and these are the kind of people they kind of prey on yeah yeah absolutely but in other pension news another big SIP provider failed with the financial services compensation scheme this week Amy what happened here yeah so Liberty SIP has you know fallen we I'm not going to say I was shocked (laughs) I could see it coming a mile off um as could many advisors but you know once again this puts a massive bill on them I mean, the FSCS told us that they currently have 1,696 claims. So when you think about it, you know, the FSCS can pay out up to £85,000. Now think of that 
times that you know yeah. lots of money that they could potentially be paying out on any of these eligible claims that they get uh so yeah you know i feel like advisors i don't even think they're so annoyed anymore because it's you know it's just oh here's another one okay here we go you know it's it's gotten to the point when it's just like almost resigned to it yeah 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 it's like it's not a shock that like, these firms keep popping up you know there's always a default or there's always you know oh this provider's gone into administration because you know they can't pay pay out on the claims that they had and um, yeah it's just basically it's just another one so <laughs> here we go again basically yeah and didn't the fscs levy not just for advisors but in total exceed 1 billion recently this month um yes. so with with more firms like this going under it seems like it doesn't seem like it's got any chance of slowing down anytime soon uh, absolutely no i can't i can't see how it can drop you know when all of these claims have to be paid out on to go back to these poor people that have lost the money so how, how is it going to drop if you know there's still all of these providers defaulting i have no idea i have no idea how they're going to fix the problem no i think you'd be a very popular woman if you did have a solution to that <laughs> <laughs> And Imi, um, what's happening in the investments world? That, that's a big old question. But um, on, on the advisor front, to be honest, I think it's all still about ESG. I never thought I'd hear those three letters so much in my life. <laughs> um, it's fair to say it's been a rising topic over the past few years, but 2020 really saw that kind of rocket. Just last week, Morningstar announced that assets in sustainable funds globally, so not just UK, hit a record high of $1.65 trillion uh, at the end of the year. And this was up 30% from the third quarter. So in three months, 30% rise to $1.65 trillion. Uh, there was something like $150 billion um, kind of put into these assets. So it's, been, it's a really, really strong trend in terms of kind of just where the money's going. Um, I think that growth is partly down to good performance and um, the fact that the last decade or so has kind of chipped away at the myth that you have to sacrifice returns to be ethical. And in the past year, ESG funds have been invested in tech, which has done really well, and they've kind of been avoiding uh, cyclicals like financial stocks and oil, which haven't done so well throughout the pandemic. So kind of an extra boost that year. And then obviously there's just the backdrop of kind of a general shift towards a greater consciousness about the planet and society and corporate governance and the fact that you can actually kind of like vote on these issues with your pounds. So yeah, that kind of combined has just seen ESG be, be massive for, for the investment space. And that extra layer of due diligence, which is linked to the ESG boom, how is that affecting advice firms? Yeah, sure. so I think Advisors are struggling with this kind of like, like a low level struggle. Just it's a really complicated topic and it's new as well. So everyone is kind of learning as they go. So I think that's kind of the backdrop. But and it's also it's important to note that most advisors are very much on board mm. with this direction of travel. And that's kind of like the majority. And then you've got on one end this smaller faction that are convinced that it's a fad created by asset managers to justify higher fees. <laughs> and then you've got in the middle this group that are just like, oh, I don't really know what's going on because it is it is really, really confusing. But in general, they agree it's going to be a bigger part of what they do. A recent paper from the Lancat found that advisors expect ESG assets to make up around half of all recommended slash advised assets by 2026. 
at the moment it's about a fifth, 19%. So a pretty big jump if half of all assets are ESG assets by then. Um, and again, nearly half of firms have an existing ESG process in place for all clients. So they're there, advisors are there and they're doing it. But the report also illuminated some significant barriers that advisors face when attempting to integrate ESG effectively into their own firm. Um, and that's mainly just around kind of access to information and resources. So again, it's like the demands there and the industry's trying to catch up with kind of what it needs to do to meet it. So kind of three quarters of advisors were like almost at a lost end when it came to finding out how ESG centric their asset managers were on platforms. And then that's kind of compounded by the confusion over terminology and the lack of clarity on regulation. So advisors are there, they know what's happening and they're looking in the same direction as kind of the market and the industry is. But I think um, the demand has kind of outpaced how well the industry can deal with it and advisors are kind of the front line on that speaking to clients about it so there are some barriers that are going to have to be kind of hurdled this year I think. Sure and that increase in ESG assets that's expected over the next five years is that driven by more younger people who are interested in ESG seeking advice and looking to invest their money in causes that they actually believe about ethically? Yeah, so that's that's certainly part of it is that kind of as millennials begin to, and I hate that word, but <laughs> as the kind of the younger group begin to start investing, they kind of are already sold on the ESG kind of mindset. So that's shifting assets towards them. But um, the, a massive part of that is institutional assets. So it's like pension schemes, feeling pressure from the people within them, their members to kind of put more pressure on the corporates and to invest more sustainably. So there's a large amount of institutional assets moving across. And then you've got this kind of creeping scene of kind of millennials starting to invest. And a lot of older clients report that they're being kind of encouraged to invest by their younger generation in the family as well. So it's kind of a cocktail of all those things. I think like just a growing consciousness wherever you have access to money, basically. Sure. And hopefully a move in the right direction. Yeah, I think, well, I personally think so, being a millennial at all. Doing your avocados. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, uh, it's it's such a massive part of what can drive change is money. And so if we can start moving money in that direction, then I think it's going to give the kind of sustainable movement like stronger legs. So, yeah. Well, thank you both so much and tune in again next week for more news and analysis in the financial advice space. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.